The Start On Demand. On demand. Happy Manitoba Day! Today is Manitoba's 150th birthday. We're going to give you an example of one of Manitoba's most important manufacturing contributions and excitement over the snowbirds who did a flyover to coincide with this great day. A 19-year-old in Ontario got nailed for doing 308 kilometers an hour on the QEW in his dad's Mercedes man in Manitoba, meanwhile, got a $1,200 ticket for doing double the speed limit on Bishop Grandin on Sunday. So we'll talk to a professor who says, why are cars even allowed to go that fast? And while we suffered through record cold yesterday, the May long weekend forecast looks fabulous. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, May 12th podcast for The Start. The team was clocked going 308 kilometers an hour. So I'm pretty much speechless on this one. Sergeant Kerry Schmidt is speechless because that's three times the posted limit. This could have turned into the most devastating fatal crash ever. The driver was pulled over Saturday evening on the QEW in Burlington. As the officer got the vehicle stopped, traffic that was going by was honking in delight that uh, this vehicle and this driver was taken off the road. Charges of stunt driving have been laid, and Dad's car, it's been impounded. Jason Chapman, Global News. So that happened on a southern Ontario highway, and here in Winnipeg on Sunday, a man got a $1,200 ticket for doing 169 on Bishop Grandin. So coming up later this morning at 845, we're going to have a conversation about whether or not passenger vehicles should have speed limiters like should any vehicle even be allowed to go up to 300 kilometers per hour and obviously we don't want to downplay the severity of these incidents these are so dangerous but it got us thinking about some of the dumb things we did when we were younger and greg mackling is here loren McNabb, jeff forte jeff braun kelly moore is here and uh why don't we start with Kelly Moore? Because Kelly is, you know, as far as rules go, I like to Old think of Kelly. agent. No, that's not where I was going. <laughs> it's not at all where I was going. I was just thinking of, of all the people here most likely to not have committed any acts of foolishness behind the wheel. Maybe it would be Kelly, but let us know. How did it go when you were a young man? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Brett, I always used to race around at about 300 kilometers. Well, I guess back <laughs> then it was a, it was 100 miles an hour in my 1963 Pontiac Strato Chief. So, yeah, <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I don't know. Thing, I guess things were maybe a little bit different. Uh, we did do some some crazy things, but those crazy things were trying to sneak five or six people in the trunk of my big uh, boat uh, into the drive-in theater. Uh, although I, and I think I've told this story on, on this uh, part of the show before, uh, there was one night, uh, it was during our grad summer where uh, there were two cars of us. We were not drinking and driving. We did have alcohol. We were going to a spot where we were going to stay the night, uh, but it was on a uh, on a, a, a rural road, and my buddies were ahead of us, so we were speeding to try to catch up to them, and I wound up totaling my best friend's mom's car, which uh, she was not too pleased about uh, 
So I guess that qualifies as stupid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations for that, Mr. Moore. What about you, Jeff Brock? Thank you. Uh, we did the, the opposite of speeding. We did this thing. My buddy had this old Velari from like 78 or 79 or something. And it would idle at about five kilometers per hour. And we'd go out onto a country road and we just put it in drive and let it idle. And then we'd all climb up on the roof in the hood of the car <laughs> with no one inside it whatsoever. And we just cruise country roads at 5K an hour all afternoon. Every now and then someone would, you know, reach in and grab the steering wheel, make sure we didn't drive into the ditch kind of thing. But it, it, it drove a pretty straight line on a gravel road. So, wow. It was, yeah. So it would just be like you just kill three hours going like to the next village over and back. Did you ever fall off? Nope. Wow. That's kind of neat. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Jeff Forte. Um, well, actually, it was my buddy. Uh, my old work buddy, and uh, after work one day, we're in a parking lot, and, you know, he decides to do some donuts. You know, it's winter, so, uh, you know, pulling the old e-brake, and he's going, he pulls the e-brake, and all of a sudden, like, we're sliding, and he can't stop, and we just see this fence coming closer, 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 and, of course, it was a chain-link fence, but, of course, he goes through it. Oh, man. <laughs> we got out of there. Damage to the vehicle? No, actually, no, like, no damage to the vehicle. The fence was a little uh, bent up. It was, it was chain-link fence. It was... Wow. Yeah. Loren McNabb. Well, I'm curious how Jeff Braun got away with this in a small town, because I can't tell you how many times I would do something in our 1986 or 87 Dodge Diplomat, pull out of the lane on our farm, and before I'd gotten to town, someone's already phoned my dad at the feed mill to say, uh, you better tell your daughter to uh, slow down. She didn't even look left. When did we just lose her? It sounds like we just lost Loren McNabb. <laughs> She's self-editing. <laughs> well, while we try to get Loren McNabb back, what about you, Mackling? Oh, is my microphone working for this segment? Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, oh, man, the list of stupid things I've done in my lifetime. But I guess when it, become, when it comes to a vehicle, I always think back to a time we were at a social out in Oak Bank, and that's when Oak Bank was you know, really like it was a road trip to go out to Oak Bank. It wasn't really a bedroom community of Winnipeg at that time. We went to a social. There was two of us, and we ended up, we were in my uh, 72 MGB, which has, of course, has two seats in it. Well, we ended up getting in a little bit of an altercation with some of the locals, and I ended up with five people in my MGB driving back to the city, two of us in the in the assigned seats and three people sitting across the top, basically the tonneau <laughs> cover where the top goes down for the entire trip from Oak Bank uh, in well into deep Transcona to get a couple of other buddies back home. And that was not very smart at all. Never mind the uh, shenanigans we were up to that got us into the altercation, uh, but driving home that way on the highway with five people in an MG, not smart at all. How fast were you of, going? time of the year? Oh, we were, oh, we were in the, it was the heart of the summer, Kelly, and uh, oh, I was yeah. probably doing 80 or 90 kilometers an hour on the highway. And three people are just hanging on for dear life on top. Uh, just sitting, just sitting on, the, just sitting on the back, just sitting wow. up back on the, uh, basically on the trunk. Yep. Which highway mm -hmm. would you have taken to come back in? 
Highway 15. Uh, I don't think there were any uh, video cameras back then, so Highway 15. Well, the re- with that. The, Dougald the, Road. The reason I bring that up is that's where my foolishness happened. When I was a teenager, I was driving my parents' Pontiac 6000, or as we called it uh, because I went to French Immersion, the 6000. I had, uh, it was a 1988 Olympic edition Pontiac 6000 LE, and I uh, decided to see how, I wanted to see how fast I could make that car go, and I pushed it to 165 on Highway 15. Uh, it was at night, so that's a that's a crappy highway on the at the best of times, but at night it's not not good at all. Got it up to 165. The car was shaking like it was going to blow apart at any moment, like it would just fall to pieces. Uh, I'm lucky I didn't smash it to pieces. It's just so stupid, so, so dumb. So if you have a story you want to share and you have no problem being honest about that, let us know at 204-780-6868. Mr. McGarry? Yes? Mr. McGarry, was that MPH or KPH on the 165? Oh, that was kilometers an hour, yeah. It (laughs) wasn't miles per hour. Well, that's that's less impressive. Well, I I tried to get it to go (laughs) higher. But that's, that's as, as far as it would go. I think maybe it, it hit 166 for a brief moment. We want to talk about the weather because Winnipeg set a record yesterday for the coldest May 11th ever, reaching a low Loren of minus 10.3. Yeah, really chilly, minus 10.3. And so we're wondering, now that we're through it, if you hear Manitoba's May long weekend is shaping up to be pretty good, do you feel a little better? At least it's actually shaping up to be one of the best we can recall in our short-term memories here on the start. David Phillips is a senior climatologist with Environment Canada and joins us now. Good morning, David. Good morning, Loren. Listen, I tell you, next weekend, the long weekend, there's no place in all of Canada I'd rather be than in Winnipeg. You guys are going to have the best weather. I mean, temperatures that are five or six degrees warmer than normal, you'd have to go back to the next last September to find temperatures better than what you're going to see this coming weekend. Dry, sunny from wall to wall, and some areas in Canada are going to be a little warm, but hey, they're not going to be as warm as you guys, and they're going to have rain. Even in Vancouver, which has been setting all kinds of, of warm temperature records hey they're 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 not going to match you in in anything with regards to the the sunshine the warmth my gosh i i uh, i could just feel those mosquitoes breeding already (laughs) i'm actually i almost almost worried we're going to jinx this you're telling me that winnipeg might have one of the best may long weekends in the country i looked everywhere tuktayuktuk and uh and tiverton and uh and uh moose moose berries and and uh and, and no, no other place than Winnipeg is going to have the perfect 10 weather coming this. And not just one day. Come on. It's like from Friday on. I don't see a cloud in the sky. Oh, maybe Monday there's a mix of sun and cloud, but high at 24. I mean, 24, that's five degrees warmer than it should be normally. So, hey, no question about it. It's the perfect 10. It's it's the best weather in North America will be in the central part of the continent right in Winnipeg. David, we were joking that May long weekend is is very early this week, about a week early, yes. well, five or six days earlier than it normally is. And so we figure maybe we've tricked the weather gods into getting this this good weather for May long weekend. 
Well, you're right about that early, you know, and sometimes, I mean, you can get snow in, in that long weekend, and uh, my gosh, it's, uh, it's, it's often, it's the official, unofficial kickoff of, of, of summer, and, but boy, having it so early is a bit of a risk. You don't normally get the kind of, of near-perfect ideal weather, but hey, you guys have had to, uh, had to bear uh, something yesterday. I mean, I'm still, you know, it takes a lot, I've been in this business 50 years. It takes a lot for me to shake my head about the weather. I'm still shaking my head over how cold it was yesterday morning. Hey, this wasn't March the uh, the 11th. It was May the 11th. I mean, minus 10 degrees. We set records all over Manitoba and Saskatchewan, but boy, Winnipeg, certainly from Manitoba, had one of the coldest temperatures of the morning uh, of, of any time. In fact, when you look at Winnipeg over history of records that go back to 1870s, there's never been a colder morning after May the 10th than what you had yesterday morning. Come on. And the wind chill, I mean, it was minus 15 is the wind chill. We normally sometimes could be complaining about the humidex right now, not the wind chill. And so it was really remarkable in terms of that cold moment that, uh, that you had uh, yesterday. And again, I mean, it was, it was typically uh, more than 15 degrees colder than it should be for that, uh, that time of the year. So, hey, it's, nature's going to all make up for it uh, coming in the next few days. And, uh, and you know, this, was, this is winter's last hurrah, the kind of cold that we saw yesterday morning. And you've got a couple of days, like today, uh, 12 degrees maybe for a high. That's still 7 degrees colder than normal. We, we might not see any more frost. Uh, it's a little hard to say. You're going to get down to close to zero in some places. But, boy, uh, nothing's going to stop that, that tropical breeze coming northward for you guys come the long weekend. And I think that's going to set it off. We see the next month uh, from, from middle of this week on, we see temperatures warmer than normal in southern Manitoba. You mentioned Manitoba and Saskatchewan have both been colder than normal, while BC yeah. has been setting records for heat. Are there yeah. any other parts of Canada that have been colder than normal? Oh, it, it, truly. Um, and we see here, where, where I live in, in Toronto area, we're setting records not only for the coldest moment in the morning, but also the coldest afternoon. And, and you know, the interesting thing about this cold that is occupying really from, from Alberta right through to, to the Maritimes, we're all united in this, this kind of, uh, of, of a very cold kind of uh, time. It's, it's the legs of this thing it has. It's not just a one- or two-day wonder. It's like two weeks. And, uh, and this has really been a shaker, you know, in terms of, from a weather point of view. But it's the polar vortex. It's that cold that's sitting over Hudson Bay and flowing air westward and eastward and just having uh, totally the grip of Canada in, uh, in most of Canada, except for record-breaking temperatures out in British Columbia. But, hey, they're, they're coming to an end, and it's going to have rain for three days come the long weekend. As I say, guys, I... I I'm, I'm taking, if I could get on a plane and head there, I'd get to Winnipeg because it's going to be just absolutely good beer drinking weather, muscle shirt and tank top kind of weather. <laughs> yes, thank I you. I could do without. I could do without the muscle shirts. I think. Okay, you know I, what? I that agree. aside. I agree, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> that aside, just before we let you go, I mentioned I don't want to jinx us, but we've also yeah. had some comments just about it's. It's been a bit dry, and yeah. so um, wondering about the precipitation that we've seen so far. Well, you know, Lauren, it has been dry. I mean, it's been a pattern we've seen over the last several springs. I, I, you know, one or two or three years does not make a trend necessarily, but but clearly it has been dry, and 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 I think farmers are wishing for some uh, uh, some precipitation. Now, the next couple of days, it's it's almost like the perfect the the 
it's almost the, the utopia. I mean, you're going to get some rains over the next couple of days, uh, going to make it feel even better when you get to the long weekend. So the farmers and the gardeners are going to be happy. And then everybody's going to be out the garden centers. They're going to be buying and they're going to be planting, playing in the mud in the backyard. And uh, but, but no, it has been dry. It's been helping the flood situation. But, but clearly, I think if nature was fair, we'd, we'd like a nice drink of water for, uh, for the seed that's been put in and will be about to be put in over the next few days. Dave Phillips from Environment Canada joining us live on 680 CJOB, senior climatologist. Thank you so much for the time as always, sir. Oh, it's always good to bring good news to people. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye now. Well, thank you indeed for bearing such wonderful news. Can't wait for that wow. forecast. Uh, the best weather in the continent, Loren. <laughs> Honestly, I wish we had never said it. I, I almost cringe. I'm like, please let us get to this Saturday with some sunshine and warmth. Right here on CJOB, starting this Friday, we're going to bring you that magical November to May. So Friday will be the home finale at IG Field versus Calgary here. Listen here on CJOB. Saturday, the CFL West semifinal at Calgary. Then Sunday, May 17th, we'll replay the CFL West final at Regina. And then capped off by the Grey Cup post-game show and coverage of the downtown parade and celebration at the Forks on holiday Monday, May 18th. So just several days of amazing coverage. And to get us more excited, if possible, for those read broadcasts, we're joined by, well, first, let's let Bob Irving do the honours. No player in history of the Great Cup game has ever been named the most outstanding player and the best Canadian. I wonder who that is. Andrew Harris, come up here and say a few words. Winnipeg! Winnipeg! You got my back! You got my back! You got my back! You got my back! Win! 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 We did win, baby! We got the cup, baby! Let's go! Ah, love hearing that again. Andrew Harris, good morning. Yeah, that was, uh, I still got goosebumps hearing that. Uh, it, it, it was amazing to uh, be up there. And I actually, uh, Bob was looking at me and he said, get yourself together. So I was crying and I was, I was in tears. And it was, there, was, there was so much going on. It was an amazing moment. It's so great to hear all that audio, and we also watched some of the highlights, uh, you know, with the road to the, the Great Cup win that the Blue Bombers put together. Just watched that with the kids the other day, which also includes that scene of you saying about, uh, I've got my back, we've got your back. Uh, curious how many times you've watched the 2019 Grey Cup in the last few months, Andrew. Well, on, honestly, the, 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 whole, the whole process kind of just flew by, and, uh, you know, you don't really realize it because everything's going so fast playoffs the media you know the practicing it's, it's kind of nice to re- relive the whole thing again and look back on you know certain moments that you, you appreciated and, and you know kind of took for granted and it was awesome to kind of see like the little little nuances of the game nuances of the locker room and uh you know things that other people were doing going through um and you know just to relive it again which was awesome but to me you know thinking about the parade and uh, after the game, 
you know, it, it, it was definitely a surreal feeling and uh, definitely something I'll cherish forever. Uh, a week or so ago, Andrew, the 2011 Grey Cup was rebroadcast on uh, one of the sports channels, and you were apologizing for the touchdown that you scored in that game against the Blue Bombers and, of course, went on to win that game in 2011 as a member of the BC Lions. But what I couldn't believe, and I, I watched both highlights back-to-back, I was how similar – that touchdown you scored in 2011 against the Blue Bombers was uh, your running touchdown, the first touchdown you scored against Hamilton in the first quarter in the Grey Cup in 2019. It, had, had you realized how, how similar those those two runs were? Yeah, absolutely. But the one in 2011 was very similar because the there's a receiver actually made a, an error in, in the play and it missed the whole box. And uh, the one this the, the, this year was very, very similar because the receiver went and totally blew out the back end. And, you know, to have that big gap and to be able to run through, you know, um, and make like, make people miss and break tackles, um, very, very similar to the way you fell into the end zone. Um, you know, like, yeah, there's, you know, similar plays, sim- similar way to the right side. And, uh, you know, O-line doing a great job. But it was, uh, it was definitely amazing to kind of, like, look back on that. And at the moment, I was like, you know, I'm a BC Lions. This, this is who I am. And now looking back, I'm like, I really, I actually really felt bad. You know, I'm like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's that little bittersweet feeling, but uh, um, it's kind of cool to even see the progress. I mean, there's guys like Big O, um, who are who who are in that game and, and playing playing a big part, and how the progress of the other league has changed and the players that we play with, and um, you know, to be able to be in two great cups and two different markets and you know one playing against your hometown and doing it for your hometown uh, it was definitely a, an amazing feature for sure andrew training camp was supposed to get underway this week uh, first preseason game was scheduled for may 24th how are you handling the uncertainty of what's to come yeah it, it's, it's kind of tough to be honest because you don't know how things are going to play out um you know you, you try to do what you can to stay in shape and um they kind of on that have that edge of you know here we go here we go here we go but usually we have timelines and dates that we have to be ready for and right now it's, everything kind of is uh all over the place so yeah you know, at the moment we're just you know waiting to see what happens and being optimistic and uh you know hopefully the best but i mean it's like everyone everyone's trying to get back to business trying to get back to regular life and there's a lot of the countries and provinces and people are going through a lot worse than we're at right now. So I, I think Manitoba and, and Winnipeg as a whole, we're, we're dealing with this, you know, in a positive way. And we just got to kind of focus on that and, you know, just uh, just keep, you know, doing what we're doing. And, you know, the, our count as a whole is, is, is great. So, I mean, that's, that's a positive thing to focus on right now. I think it's all about perspective, Andrew, and you just laid that out there really well. And we were going to ask you, what would you say to fans that are so excited to see those Grey Cup championship banners raised and will have to wait a little longer? Perhaps it is just about perspective right now. Well, well I mean, for me, I, I was looking so forward to that home opener and, you know, having the fans, you know, being in the stadium and, you know, celebrating the, the Grey Cup and the banner and all that. But, I mean, at this point right now, we, you know, the fans are very excited and the, fans, the, the city as a whole, the province as a whole, I'm still very excited about what will be accomplished and um you know there's a lot to be proud of so i think uh you know we just got to keep enjoying it and making sure that we uh look at this whole this whole season and the whole thing we're going through as a whole but you know stay together everyone has each other's backs and uh, we'll get through this
Greg, several hours of. Oh, <laughs> I figured you're gonna, you were opening the door for me there, Brett. Yeah, no, go I ahead. I just figured I'd walk through. Uh, 12 hours or so of incredible memories coming up this weekend, starting Friday night in that October game, that finale when uh, Zach Caleros uh, brought the, the, the team back and essentially took the reins as quarterback. Andrew, thanks for taking time with us. Congratulations again on the Grey Cup, and we look forward to seeing it on the field uh, sooner than later. Thanks a lot, guys. Andrew Harris from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers joining us live on CJOB for breakfast with the Bombers. Once again, all May long weekend, we will be rebroadcasting those key, those clutch, those awesome Bomber games. It's going to be a fabulous weekend here on 680 CJOB. Birthdays are a terrific opportunity to celebrate one's achievements and reflect on the amazing things we have done so far. And as we celebrate Manitoba's 150th, the Manitoba Division of the Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters sent out a top 10 list of Manitoba excellence in business. They called it the top made in Manitoba products since Confederation. And here's who made the list. Number one, the Bowler Trailer. Two, Balin Industries. We've got Bowen 737, Crown Royal Whiskey, Fort Gary Fire Trucks. Of course, Harry Potter's book series by Friesen's Corporations, Morton's of Winnipeg Chocolates, the Nutty Club Candy, the Pizza Pop, one of my kids' favorites, and the Tiber River Natural Soaps, Greg. Yeah, and lots of other items and incredible accomplishments in the business world that could have been added to that. Joining us now is CEO of Friesen's Corporation in Altona, Chad Friesen. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Manitoba Day. And happy Manitoba Day to you. We appreciate you joining us and celebrating with us. Just wanted to put it out there. Uh, the father of our colleague, Jeff Braun, who does the news at the top of the bottom of the hour, is from Altona. His dad worked at Friesen's for uh, over 25 years. And Jeff even put up put in some time there over the summer. So uh, you got a strong connection to CJOB here this morning, Chad. But for those that his, don't his know... His father's name was Ike. <laughs> That's right. It is like you got it. Uh, tell us a little bit about Friesen's. For those of us that don't maybe know about how, what you're doing, how long you've been doing it. So we've been doing it a long time. We're not quite as old as the province, but uh, Friesen's is 113 years old. We were started in 1907 by a gentleman by the name of D.W. Friesen. Main motivation was he didn't want to farm on the family farm. And so he, he got into business to create uh, some opportunity for himself and for the community. And ever since, we've been uh, building a part and, and been a big part of the community of Altona. We're employee-owned, so we've got uh, nearly 600 employee owners. Uh, most of them operate, live and operate in Altona. And uh, we operate four businesses. We're involved in trade books. That's our biggest business. So if anytime you're into chapters or indigo those uh, businesses, we, we produce coffee table books and trade books. We make yearbooks for schools and universities all across North America. Uh, we have a packaging business, so we make the Burks boxes. We've made some of the Morden's chocolate uh, boxes, if you're buying those uh, Morden's chocolates. Uh, Winnipeg Jets, uh, season ticket boxes, those types of things. And we have a publishing services business that operates out of B.C., which basically helps people uh, self-publish their own uh, titles. And so Friesen's, just to give you a little bit of a, you're talking about some of the big achievements, and so we might t talk about some of ours, but Friesen's produces, we, we think we've told more stories than in, almost anybody else in Canada in history. 
And so we, we produce about 22, 23 million books every year. And so that we see ourselves helping to tell 22, 23 million stories every year. And so over the lifetime of Friesen's producing books in our, since the 40s and 50s, we've, we peg that we've produced somewhere around 750 to 800 million books. And so almost three, over three quarters of a, mil, a billion books uh, over the lifetime at Friesen's. And so that, I think, is a pretty amazing feat for a Manitoba company. Chad, what do you think is the advantage of doing business in Manitoba? Well, there's there's several advantages. We we struggled early, early on. We struggled greatly trying to get up and running in Manitoba. So a, a world-renowned book manufacturer residing in southern Manitoba, you know, when people from Toronto and New York and other major publishing centers look originally looked to us and said, why would we work with, you know, a company in, in you know, small town Manitoba when we have major printers just down the road? And, and so it was a very difficult at the beginning, and there's lots of effort that went into bringing them to Friesen's to see what, you know, the employee owners of Friesen's were doing at the time. But today we have the advantage of being in, uh, in a country and a province that makes uh, foreign, you know, the most important that's ha- working for us right now is access to people. And so we have a province and a country that's very active in trying to help uh, foreign workers immigrate to Canada. And that is not happening in the United States. And it's difficult in other parts of the world. And so we feel that we have a very unique advantage in this province and in this country because we're able to access and, and bring people to work that other competitors can't and so that's that's certainly one advantage for us and and we're central in the in the continent and so any we can get to any point in north america within the two-day shipping and so it's it's an ideal location from for distribution of a product across across north america We've got the people. You mentioned the location. We've got a strong work ethic. You mentioned just the roots of Friesen's going from a uh, you know, son of a farmer, but saying, I still want to work hard, run my own business. How do we take all of that and provide more opportunity for Manitoba when it comes to innovation, and, and particularly in these pandemic times? And only we only have 30 seconds. Sorry, Chad. I'll tell you that that um, that Manitoba and Mennonite uh, work ethic is is very, very key. But we apply that now to new innovation. So we're focused very much on industry 4.0. There's this mentality in the workforce of how do we improve, continuously improve every day. And so we're working on some really exciting things. While the book itself hasn't changed much with technology, the how we produce the book has changed dramatically. So we're into robotics, automation, design, so- designing software for our customers. You know, digital printing, and so so many cool things that go into sort of the industry 4.0 of how to build books and build packaging. Uh, it's a really exciting time, and our employee owners and that that strong work ethic come to play to to help us achieve that. So as we've been sharing with you for about the past 24 hours now, it was just yesterday that Hydro revealed that up to 700 of its employees, up to 700 of its staff, could be receiving temporary layoff notices as the Crown Corporation looks for millions of dollars in savings. This is, of course, all part of those mandated cost reductions directed at the public sector from the province, with Crown, schools, universities, and other departments told by its Conservatives to cut costs between now and August 31st as part of the pandemic 
Greg. Yeah, we know the private sector, Loren, has taken the brunt of this pandemic with thousands of job losses in Manitoba alone. But our next guest doesn't believe now is the time for the public sector to also take a hit. Robert Shernamas is uh, an economics professor at the University of Manitoba, and he joins us now. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. Thank you for taking time with us. What, what do you say to those who think this makes sense to reduce costs everywhere and, as the Premier has been saying, spread the pain, so to speak? If you think of the economy as a ship which is sinking because the private sector is collapsing, the investment and consumption are all declining dramatically. The long, harder and lesson is that the public sector has to fix the, fix the problem as opposed to making it worse. And so the prime minister is doing all the right things. He's making sure that the public sector uh, maintains itself by keeping its funding. And he's providing loans and wage subsidies to the private sector to make sure it doesn't collapse. What you have to make sure of at the end of this pandemic crisis, that the economy is structure is still in place. And so while Trudeau keeps trying to fill holes in the boat that's sinking, Pallister keeps trying to find places to punch holes in the same economy. So they're working against each other. And I would say he's doing so almost uniquely in the country. Even other conservative governments have, have a tendency not to be uh, behaving the way Pallister is. It's a real problem in the province. And uh, the idea that the uh, premier would also you know, begin to override the individual autonomy of crown corporations, universities, these are all very bad economic precedents and, and political precedents that need to stop. There is some concern within the unions that these temporary reductions will turn permanent. Is that just fear-mongering? Well, I have to be a member of the Manitoba Organization of Faculty Associations, and we've had actually conversations with the government in private, and we've been told at those times that actually they have a serious interest in making dramatic permanent long-term cuts. Now, what's happened, of course, is the blowback from so many uh, different sectors of the economy from big business, the Winnipeg Free Press, economists from left to right. There's been so much uh, counter uh, response to that, counterattack, that the government seems to be at the moment uh, backing off on those dramatic long-term cuts, which would change the economic structure uh, and the social fabric of the province for a very long time if they were allowed to continue that. At the moment, they seem to be, you know, sort of um, slowing down that. But we don't... Uh, Many of us think that's the real goal is to make long-term permanent cuts to the public sector, which we think inevitably will damage the private sector and the economy as a whole. So right now, the, the amount of resistance seems to be slowing down what their uh, original stated intentions were. Well, as we've often said, the devil is often in the details, Robert. But you, in the details here, you mentioned just your role with uh, the University of Manitoba and, and universities, as you said, have been also told to temporarily reduce costs. And so I'm curious if that makes it hard. You're also an economist. Does that make it hard to toe the line on what's best for the economy here, just given how it feels like every single Manitoban is impacted by this economic crisis? Well, that's why you give $40,000 interest-free loans to small business. You do wage subsidies. You make sure that the uh, public sector is continue to maintain their employment, continue their funding, continue their important functions. This is 
you know, since the 1930s, we've learned this lesson sometimes the hard way. And you, as you can see, governments around the world, the ones that are, you know, progressive and are actually functioning better, these are the kinds of things they're doing. You don't want unemployment to rise too high. You don't want layoffs. You don't want firms to permanently go bankrupt. All these things are essential to prevent a Great Depression. Robert, for as many people as see this as a good move, there are others who are questioning it and wondering why the government would make this move. You've outlined some of the reasons why you think it's a bad idea. Crown corporations and and their role in this have me personally puzzled. Autopack or MPI uh, is a profitable corporation, uh, as is Manitoba Hydro, despite their debt level. So please explain to me how that money in Crown Corporations, saved in Crown Corporations, will actually flow to the government. Are they going to write a check from Manitoba Hydro to the provincial government? Because this doesn't cut provincial government payrolls in any way. Well, I mean, it's, it's not clear to me exactly what they're doing. I know with universities, they're demanding that they cut the wage, uh, the total wages at the university. And I guess what will happen there is that the province will provide less funding. As for uh, Manitoba Hydro, it's a monopoly. The idea that they can't you know, recap, pay off their debt makes no sense at all. And the idea that they'd lay off workers at Manitoba Hydro, which are part of the structure of the firm to make sure it functions well, is likely to create long-term structural problems, never mind uh, uh, undermine the morale of the, of the uh, Crown Corporation. He, once again, Pallister is doing exactly the wrong thing that ought to be done in a crisis like this, running a, completely against what the prime minister is doing, and including the universities and Crown Corporations and everything. He seems to be looking for everywhere and anywhere he can cut and get away with it. And it makes no economic sense. Wing McGarry and McNabb, as we've been telling you this morning, Ontario Provincial Police say a teenage driver was clocked going at an unreal rate of speed on the Queen Elizabeth Way in his dad's car on Saturday night. OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt says the driver was operating his father's Mercedes sedan. Unbelievable speeds. We're talking 191 miles an hour. We're talking 85 meters a second, 280 feet per second. Uh, you think about perception reaction uh, times when you're going down the highway i've done fatal reconstruction work for about a dozen years and it takes time for people to recognize threats and issues uh, on the highways and be able to react to it to avoid a collision this is absolutely egregious for anyone to be going those kinds of speeds 308 kilometers per hour the speed limit is 100 there's areas where it's 110. Uh, when you're going triple the speed limit, I, I don't even know where to begin with that. Officer Schmidt said the driver was a 19-year-old man who had another 19-year-old man as a passenger as well. Here's a quote. As the officer got the vehicle stopped, traffic was going by and honking in delight that this vehicle and this driver was taken off the road. Can you imagine having a car go by you at 308 kilometers per hour? Schmidt, who is a media relations officer with OPP, said when he had the photo sent to him of the speed radar, he thought the officer was joking. My, my first impression was, oh yeah, um, that's just a joke. 
there's there's no problem. Uh, he's he's been down at the airport watching airplanes take off and land and got a speed reading on an Airbus A340 that rotates at around 290 kilometers per hour when they're taking off. Uh, 737 Boeing uh, will rotate or, or lift its wheels when he's going about 250 kilometers per hour. Uh, and so when I saw 308 kilometers per hour, well, yeah, you're getting a, a nice fast jet coming in on approach or, or leaving an airport. Forget 300 kilometers per hour. What about 200 kilometers per hour or 150? I mean, who needs a vehicle that goes this fast? Ahmed Shalabi is a professor of civil engineering at the Pavement Research Group with the UFM. He's also the technical director at Safer Roads Canada and has asked the same question. So thank you very much for taking the time to join us this morning. Uh, is there an answer to the question about who needs a car to travel this fast, Ahmed? Um, I mean, the answer is clear, Lauren. Uh, nobody needs a car that travels this fast on a public road. Uh, they can do whatever they want on a racetrack, on a private road somewhere. But on a public road where they share this road with other uh, drivers and passengers and, and uh, subject them to uh, this risk, there is no need for this kind of speed. And, you know, fortunately now there are technologies that can control that speed uh, regardless of the of the wishes of the driver, so we we don't need cars that go that fast. Ahmed, when we brought this up uh, earlier, we had a text message from one of our listeners that says, "Oh, the cars already are limited." So, are there governors and other things that do limit uh, cars off the frac- factory floor? There are, and and uh, many of them are there to protect the car, to protect the engine, and and to protect the the vehicle itself. Uh, they are set to very high speeds, uh, something like you know, uh, um, 180 and 190 kilometers an hour or higher. They are not in every vehicle, and they are not mandatory. Uh, this is going to change uh, starting in Europe in, a, in about two years from now, where all new vehicles will be equipped with, with speed limiters. Uh, in North America, we have speed limiters uh, on trucks in Ontario and Quebec. They have been mandatory for the past 10 years. We've been all governed to 105 kilometers an hour, and that uh, technology is there. We are able to set uh, a compulsory speed um, limit on vehicles, um, um, you know, and it can also, the new technology now is it can be an intelligent speed uh, limit where it recognizes the speed of the road and sets the car speed to the speed of the road. So there are technologies. We have not, they have not been mandated uh, car makers have uh, some have adopted it, some haven't. Uh, we hope this is, is going to be coming because uh, the potential is um, the savings could be up to 20% of the lives lost on the highway. That's a, that's a very substantial number to consider. Uh, it's it's shocking and amazing that we don't have a you know a real serious discussion about this when we have the potential of saving you know up to 400 Canadians per year um, that that died due to speeding and and road accidents. As far as speed limits go in residential areas, that's being debated in many cities. What difference does 10 or 20 kilometers per hour mean in terms of survivability of a crash or in the case of, uh, say, a vehicle pedestrian collision? That, that means a lot, actually. And, and you can double the survivability by going from you know, 50 kilometers an hour to 30 kilometers an hour speed. That is why uh, these discussions are uh, happening now. But they are mostly related to you know, having drivers control their speeds and, and having, you know, enforcement or, or uh, cameras or to, to monitor that system. Where, in fact, the vehicles themselves now are going to be uh, having that capacity to, uh, to set a speed limit 
and the drivers will still be able to override it should they want. But I can imagine going at the end of the year to uh, to renew my insurance, for example, and they find that I've uh, you know uh, overridden this speed limit on a daily basis. That might bring some questions and, and might affect my uh, rating as, a, as an aggressive driver or as a, as a safe driver. You mentioned you that. 30 uh, seconds Amanda, left. To... Greg, you go ahead. Go ahead, Loren. No, go ahead, Loren. Just have 30 seconds left. I'm just curious, what's the argument against having these kinds of restrictions oh. and enforcement in place that would prevent the speed at that time? Yeah, I know it's, it's a controversial issue. Uh, people don't like to have a nanny state looking after them and deciding for them. Um, I, I can understand that, but I think these things are coming anyways. Uh, Europe has implemented them. They're going to be uh, even uh, in the UK after Brexit. They, they will implement them. I expect them to be coming to our shores. You know, uh, I, I would rather have them here sooner than later. <laughs> I see them outside right now. You see them? Yeah. The snowbirds? Yeah. Oh, man, I can't. Oh, yeah, there they go. There they go. Yeah, I can see them flying by. I'm just looking outside the window here, looking to the northeast of Polo Park. I heard them take off. I stepped outside. Greg, it looks like they might be coming your way. Are you outside now? No, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disconnect from here. I'm going to call you guys. Okay. I know, and it looks like they might be looping back towards. Yeah, they're coming back towards Polo Park uh, because the, it looks like the... Yeah, that's sorry. I'm completely distracted right now by the snowbirds. I guess Loren, they'll eventually make their way out your way. Yeah, we're outside. I got the kids outside. We're standing and we're south of Winnipeg. Uh, I don't know if they'll make it this far, but I often see, you know, when they do the flyby over the stadium, which of course is in the south end and the Hercules when they do their routes. So I'm hopeful we'll see something this morning because otherwise I got them outside in this chill for no reason. <laughs> Yeah, the snowbirds took off at 9.30. I stepped outside. There are five other colleagues outside. We were wondering if we'd be able to see them uh, from here. We could hear them take off. We heard the engines fire up. We heard them go, uh, but we didn't think that we would see them because we understood that they were going to do a loop around the city. They were going to head north and loop around, but here they are. They just flew over the Polo Park area, and uh, I'm not entirely sure which way they'll take, but eventually they're supposed to make their way south, out your way, Loren, before they head west out towards Portage La uh, Prairie, pardon me, and then uh, to Brandon, where they're scheduled to land at around 10.30. So imagine that, being able to fly around the city and then be in Brandon in 60 minutes. Wouldn't that be nice, Loren? Oh, you've been up, that's the way to ride. Been? Oh, Macklings, are you there, Greg? He's on the phone. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I just I wanted to sprint outside. I can hear them. Oh, here yeah. they come. They're coming your way? Yeah, it's getting very loud now. Oh, yeah, I see them way off in the distance. Okay, yeah. They're... Yeah, hold my phone up. Maybe you'll be able to hear it. Yeah, it looks oh, like... there they go. Dang, I was looking the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can see. They're further east now. They're further east, and it looks like they were heading. So it looks like they're kind of zigzagging back and forth. Uh, they were heading in just a moment ago. It looks like they were flying sort of southeast. Uh, so I guess they're heading. They're heading east. So just yeah, they made a loop around. It looks like they're sort of made a right turn at uh, either the perimeter or Lajemodier. So they're making that. Uh, that trek south now, Loren, so you might be able to see them in the next few minutes. I could see their uh, their contrails and uh, everything. I was listening so intently for them to go and come a little bit further north than they did, and they, uh, they turned off further south than I had anticipated. So just 
caught them for a split second. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. You ever been to an air show, Loren? Oh, yeah. No, I've been to a few air shows and have had to cover them for work and, and all the rest. Can you still hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Oh, sorry. I just heard this thing. And with all our technology fails today, I thought I was going to find myself talking to myself outside with all the neighbors watching. So I thought I should confirm. Yeah, no, I've had a chance to go to several air shows and I find them really incredible. The snowbirds, like if you get a chance to see them in action in a show, you really should because... I mean, not only are they just so iconic to Canada, but what they can do and how close they fly to one another. And the snowbirds on their Twitter account this morning have been posting some pictures from inside the cockpit. And you can just see how, like, you, the, the guy can wave to the pilot in the other plane. Like, it's too close, close for anyone's comfort unless you're those guys, I think. Those men and women know what they're doing. I actually got to fly in mm-hmm. a CF-18. You remember that, Greg? Oh, yes, that was fantastic radio. Yeah, I got to do that, uh, I think it was back in like 2006. I headed down to Southport, and uh, because various media outlets got to fly with various planes that were in this show, and uh, I had to wait. The the plane was behind schedule, so I was there for like almost eight hours, and uh, they almost called it off, but I still got to to go up because they, they, they switched... The plan was to just kind of zip around that area, and then they had this idea, why don't we fly by the football stadium because there was a bomber game that night. But in order to do that, they needed clearance from the mayor, so I guess we had to wait for clearance, and when we finally got it, we flew into Winnipeg, and uh, then we just flew back, and I, I don't know what speed we were doing. I think the top speed of that thing is like 800 kilometers an hour or something like that. But that was just incredible. My pilot's name was Captain Fat Daddy. I was not allowed to address him by his actual name while he was in the cockpit. Uh, it was Fat Daddy. And uh, I got to keep my barf bag because I didn't use it. Oh. So, Are they flying by you again? Oh. Where are they? What are you? What are you reacting to, Greg? Do you see them? Oh, I could, thought I could hear them uh, in Loren's phone, or is that just a semi-trailer driving down the highway? <laughs> That's just a car driving by, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. I turned and looked, too. I was like, oh, it's happening. It's like, no, it's just a Ford truck. Ah. <laughs> it's exciting. It's a snowbird right now. But Dang. what are you going to do, right? <laughs> uh, it's funny how excited we get for these things, though, right? Uh, there's been some question about uh, the value of the snowbirds doing this, and we saw that in the United States, uh, people questioning, I think it was the Blue Angels and a couple of their teams doing this. But people do really get excited about seeing these things. And these pilots, they need to get their hours in anyway, right, Brett? Like, this is part of the their training, and they, they've got to be flying a certain amount of, of hours every day or every week in order to keep their training up so this is just a little bit of a departure of where they're doing it versus some sort of extraordinary expense that they wouldn't otherwise be uh spending on fuel or 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 any other expenses associated with these flyovers we're getting uh vic is asking can you play the clip of brett in the f-18 i didn't actually have do do any radio (laughs) in the the aircraft um, but uh, I, I did uh, sort of a debrief afterward. But we're getting pictures texted to us at 204-780-6868. Jason caught a pic of the snowbirds. Uh, looks like he is downtown or possibly in the exchange district. Uh, another picture here. This is a great picture uh, from somebody, uh, and it's just a shot of the snowbirds with their the, the trails behind them with a wide-open blue sky. I think I'm going to throw that one up on our 680CJOB Instagram. And Mark uh, texting us right 30 seconds ago saying they're flying over southwest Winnipeg now. So 
Uh, oh no! I'm so. <laughs> you miss some, Lorraine. That does not bode well for me. That if you're over back. Southwest Winnipeg right now, maybe they got time to come back. If you're listening to CJOB, to do a little bit of a Yui, <laughs> go back. Go back, go see Lorraine. <laughs> but yeah, it is. I mean, it is clear the the excitement to to see something like this because as as Jason points out, you don't see that every day, and this is uh, it's kind of a uniting thing, right? It, everybody's excited about something cool uh, just for a moment uh, as we celebrate Manitoba Day. Uh, so I guess Lorraine, just hold out hope. Maybe they'll come back. And by the way, on the subject of Manitoba stuff, just looking at our question of the day at cjob.com, tough to narrow it down to four, so we've picked four at random. Which of these is your favorite Manitoba-made snack? 43% say Bothwell cheese leading the way so far, 27% Morden's chocolate, 16% pizza pops, and 13% say La Cochina tortilla chips. Now, uh, we also mm. put this out on Twitter at 680CJOB, and I'm Different just answers. going to uh, cast a vote here, and yeah, uh, Bothwell Cheese, 37%, La Cochina and Pizza Pops at 23% each, with Morton's uh, in the rear at 17 My suggestion was, what if you take the Bothwell Cheese and you melt it on top of the La Cochina tortilla chips? You're speaking my language, mm-hmm. McGarry. <laughs> That's good. Keep talking. More more talk like that. What if you, uh, okay, well, what if then you put uh, some pizza pops underneath and have like this big sort of nacho pizza pop uh, casserole? Wash this it down with some uh, Crown Royal. Oh, jeez. Oh, now we're really, <laughs> now we're really we trying to appeal there? to my senses. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, mix it, uh, if you know, if you need a little bit of mix. Instead of Coke or Pepsi, uh, a little bit of pick-a-pop. Oh, my God. Pick-a-pop. That's right. You can still get pick-a-pop. And don't forget about all the great craft beers that are made in this province, like Torque or Little Brown Jug or Trans-Canada. Uh, I'm struggling to remember them off the top of my head. Fort Gary makes excellent, uh, just tried Fort Gary Wheat City beer recently. It is delicious. So, yeah. Okay. I, you know what? All this talk about food and drink on Manitoba Day, like I said, I, was, I don't want to make unhealthy decisions, uh, Loren, but I suspect I have no choice but to make some, uh, well, healthy for my mental wellness. How's that? It'll be good for my soul. Healthy for the economy. Health, healthy for some made in Manitoba businesses' bottom line. There's all wait, all sorts of ways to sell going out and making some purchases today that are going to make uh, you and they and others feel better. So, yes, there's no downside to this bet at all. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.